0: Welcome to the next episode of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Um, We've made this migration away from just being an audio podcast to being a video cast. We still have the audio version for you podcasters, but if you want to see the visuals, go over to our YouTube channel. My guest this week is um, Gary Wolf, a longtime friend. Um, I'll ask Gary to introduce himself shortly, but um, I know Gary because many, 100 years ago, he started Quantified Self. It was the past century. It was. It was a long time ago. So Gary, introduce yourself.
1: Well, I'm Gary. Uh, I am a writer, a journalist, and also the founder of Quantified Self and uh, the director now of a nonprofit foundation mm-hmm. called Article 27, which we could talk a little bit about. It's uh, named after the uh, forgotten article in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that guarantees the right to participate in science. Um, and so uh, I am really interested in helping people learn about themselves using empirical methods. And I think we'll talk with some about, about some of that today. And um, Kevin,
0: lead yeah. It's, it's and, and Gary was, we actually met originally at Wire because Gary was one of our staff writers um, long ago. And we did some stories. Yeah. then he wrote a <laughs> book about Wire. <laughs> uh, so, um, Gary, tell us about some of um, the cool tools that you know about and want us to share with. What's the first one?
1: Sure. Um, I'll start with one that's really right in the bullseye of the kind of thing people think about when they talk about quantified self. So quantified self is a user community. People who are interested in self-tracking includes both makers and users of self-tracking tools and people who want to learn about themselves using um, their own data. And so the first thing that comes to mind when people think about quantified self is technologies that enable self-tracking. it has a kind of techie vibe. Um, so I'll just share uh, one of these really neat tools for self-tracking to start with. And uh, the
0: idea with, with self-tracking is that you, um, you're you kind of like performing an experiment on yourself in some ways. You are trying to collect some data. It's, we, we all pay attention to ourselves, but what if we could actually quantify it? That's the data part. Yeah, so we use exactly. some technology to generate numbers instead of maybe just an observation in our head. And that's the general principle.
1: Yeah, exactly. And over the years, I mean, this we started this, Kevin, in 2007, and it's grown and changed, but I think it's it's stayed true to the fundamental idea, which is new ways of observing change us in some way. So when right, you can right. see different things, you can think different things. And right. when you think different things, you kind of become something different. Sure, so sure. it's really, that's the quantified plus the self, right. you know, that makes quantified right. self. And, but, you know, a lot of... So what's, what, so what's the tool that you... What's yeah, the here we go. Let's just, let's just share this.
0: All right. So there's an arm with exactly. a little disc. It's a disc. And this yeah, that's a, a
1: disc. So that's a minimally invasive sensor. And um, it, it just sticks to your arm like a little Band-Aid. Um, it's about the size of a half dollar or yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. smaller, a little smaller than a half like dollar. a quarter, maybe. Yeah. And, um, here, I'll, I'll give you the other one now. Um, so you can see it in a hand and that gives you the uh, perspective. So right. that's the front of it. Um, which is, you know, the part that you see, uh, when you're looking at it on the arm and the back of it, if you look really closely right at the center, you'll see a tiny little metal spike. It's less than half an inch long, maybe a quarter inch. And, that little spike sticks into your skin. So it's like a little needle. It's a little needle. That penetrates that when you put your it skin. on, you don't even feel it, but it's a little needle in there. Okay. All right. No. So you have this, so
0: you have this kind of a quarter size disc, very thin and gray. And then you, on one side is a little protruding, a little tiny tip of a needle that goes into your skin.
1: Exactly. And, it, and then, then it's
0: ta- taped on.
1: Uh, it has adhesive. Okay. Yeah. It has adhesive and it's, waterproof. You can take a shower with it. And it lasts for about 14 days. And I'll give you the name. Obviously, you know, what's it measuring? So it's measuring your blood glucose. Okay. So it's a glucose monitor. Okay. Now, you might think, wait, that needle can't possibly go into your bloodstream in any way, right? I mean, it's really, really short. How do you pick up Blood glucose, normally what we do for blood glucose, and people who are managing diabetes know this, is you prick your finger and you get a little spot of blood, right? And, and then, you know, you uh, analyze that blood. This actually is getting the interstitial fluid in your skin, the, the fluid between the layers of your skin. And the makers of this device, uh, Abbott Labs, most people now know Abbott Labs because they also make uh, COVID tests. So if you've used those binex COVID tests that come in the blue box, that's from Abbott Labs. But this is a, something they created to support diabetes management. Right. They know how to take the, the information that comes from the fluid in your skin and turn it into information about the blood sugar. Okay. Um, it sounds like you wear one of these. So I they are meant for, they have a number of different uses. Their main use is for diabetes management. And Now I do not have diabetes, so I don't manage diabetes. Um, but I am interested in my blood sugar levels because they are related to your metabolic function overall. So if you have questions about your metabolism, things like, okay, um, why do I suddenly feel really hungry every day at at you know eleven a.m. or uh, am I tired t- tired after lunch? Is that more than normal, right? Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, other questions like that, or, or have I been told or suspect that maybe I'm vulnerable to diabetes type 2, so mm-hmm. maybe I'm developing diabetes. Um, right, right, These are all reasons you might be interested in your blood sugar. And for that purpose, you can wear it intermittently, like for, say, two weeks, you learn what you can. Then, you know, after oh. you think for a while or have some new ideas you want to test, you can okay. wear it again. Do you need yeah. a doctor's prescription to get it? So in Europe, it's available over the counter. In the United States, you need a doctor's prescription. Um, this is just purely like rent-seeking from the you know, healthcare system.
0: Right. Could you buy one in Europe and wear it here?
1: Ab- uh, yes, you can. Um, but also, it's pretty easy to get a prescription. And there's okay. um, the last tool I'm going to show today, which is the QS Forum. You can get advice about how to get them and how to get a prescription how do you get easily. the
0: data out is it bluetooth
1: so it talks to an app oh, yeah so it phone. has it has um uh near field communication
0: okay, so it has a little battery in it
1: yes it has it's powered okay. yeah, but not enough not so much battery i mean if you want to get into the technical details there's there's not the kind of battery you would need to run uh like a always on Bluetooth connection or something like that. Okay, all right. So it is very, very low power.
0: And so what what approximately does it cost? It's,
1: so the question of what they cost, of course, is um, a little bit hard to answer because in the United States, they're available only by prescription. So they ask for your uh, insurance. Uh-huh. And like anything in healthcare, um, it's hard sometimes to tell what's really, right. you're gonna end up paying. But um, I've paid under, you know, $100 for the two weeks of blood glucose measurement.
0: Two weeks. Wait, 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 wait. You say you could wear one for two weeks.
1: You can wear one for two weeks. So I think I paid $40 for the one that I wore. Okay. All right. But I don't know if that was subsidized in some way, right? So, Uh All right. This is the hard part. Okay. Um,
0: So... um... So that's just one, that, that's one kind of thing, a device that you can wear to track you. There are, of course, Fitbits that do your motion and activities and other things. Um, and you mentioned some reasons why you might want to track that on your own. Um, was there something that you learned from it that changed your behavior?
1: Yeah, I wanted to show you something that it was just kind of super interesting to me because one of the the kind of key ingredients, the special ingredients about... Um, Using a tool to make observations about yourself is developing good questions to ask because otherwise you just have data, right? And data has no meaning except in relation to the questions you ask. So, if you're wondering about your blood glucose, one of the things you want to do is understand okay, well, what's typical and what's different? Mm-hmm. What's normal for you? What's normal for me? Mm-hmm. So, here is um, the raw data. Um, This is from, I just happen to have this easily available. So this is from a test I did um, a few years ago, showing my glucose levels coming off the device. And here you can see my average glucose, my average blood glucose in the morning before I get up is about 93, which is, you know, perfectly acceptable. Right. So, Um, so,
0: One of the things um, that I've noticed about the quantified self is that some measurements, let's say like number of steps, I I wore a Fitbit long enough that I could actually tell now almost to within 10 steps how many steps I've walked because I was kind of trained by that data. And so I don't really need the step counter because I can feel it. And Mm -hmm. the same thing with... um, some kind of a, some sleep apps and stuff I can tell were you able to learn to feel what your glucose was um, from this data and and observing and how you felt
1: yes it was really interesting um, I was really interested in these kind of um, late morning hunger attacks that I was having and I always assumed that, okay, I must have low blood sugar, right? Because I'm, like, driven to, like, eat something right now. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. let's... let's. Yeah. But what I learned from measuring my blood sugar was that, actually, these were not occurring at the low blood sugar times. Huh. They were occurring at the times of fast descent in blood sugar after having Uh a peak. Uh Uh-huh. So it turned out that what I was feeling, my sensation of, like, really needing sugar was being triggered somehow by the slope of the curve, right? By Mm -hmm. somehow by like the, the, the decline. Mm. And so this, I mean, of course you can read this on any, you know, blog about nutrition advice, but for me, it was very useful to kind of see it and to notice that, wow, if I could just keep from having the big spike, Mm -hmm. then I wouldn't have the big hunger attack. I certainly Mm. didn't need to learn that more than once. Right. Like, once i learned that i could easily tell like right, okay right. now i'm now i have this kind of thing going on and also what was really interesting is i found that i could interrupt that craving right 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 with actually just a little bit of sugar so i'm not against you know sugar like on a religious i don't have a religious objection to sugar right, right, or something right, right. So it's a tool just, it's a tool <laughs> it's a tool exactly so i I could just eat like a little piece of candy right, like yeah, a little yeah, yeah. caramel or something like that, and then that craving would be gone right right that's
0: really fa- fabulous uh, so so this is i mean this is really a very profound idea that that you're kind of um well a lot of the quantified selfing is not like you're going to be monitoring yourself in all dimensions always it's more like uh training yourself to to use your other senses or your natural body senses to do that observation. But you need the technology to kind of, you know, as you said, to train
1: you. Yeah, so every once in a while, I would have these big... So so
0: we're seeing a graph now, for those who are listening, here's a graph um, uh, with with a kind of a going along and a kind of a large peak in the center.
1: Exactly. So you're seeing a blood sugar spike from 63 to 168. Over the course of about two hours and then right back down to 72, you know, about, you know, a little more than two hours later. So it's a very, sm- you know, smooth and well-defined like leap in blood sugar. And what's very interesting about it is that it's between 11 p.m. at night and 4 a.m. in the morning when there's no food being eaten. Huh. Wow. And this happened on several nights. Wow. Wow. That is strange. It's very strange. And now there's various theories about why that could have happened. Like and for this instance, happens to other people too. Is that the idea? I, I, I've heard a few cases, uh-huh. but I, I think it's very mysterious. Now, there's a mechanical explanation. Some people have said, well, you know, it's possible you just rolled over onto the sensor and somehow. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's possible. It's possible. However, it's really quite a smooth mm. You know, like yeah. it, it resembles a lot of other blood sugar curves that go up, you know, pretty steeply uh-huh, after eating uh-huh. and then and then fall back to a baseline level. Right. Right. So it doesn't look funny, but if it's, it's completely unresolved. So anyway, this is my next uh, question is right, like, right, right, right. what 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 would cause extreme blood sugar spikes at night? Right, right. Um, it <laughs> could be, for instance, um, sleep apnea.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's possible. So that's another value of this idea of quantum, of measuring itself is that um, we realize that we don't know anything really, <laughs> and, and, and that so much of what we do know is only made from these occasional measurements. And that once you start to measure something on a kind of continuous or you know un, un, uninterrupted basis, there is just so much we don't know, and that um, we're learning from doing this, and we're learning to ask the questions and. In particular, some of is about ourselves, too, so we, which makes it even more interesting.
1: Yeah, exactly. And also, like, one of the things you mentioned earlier was, well, you know, you use the technology to kind of um, train yourself to be aware mm-hmm. of certain things that otherwise would be unnoticeable to you. And, uh, you know in that way, it resembles any kind of learning process. Like there's no reason to learn the same thing again and again, right? right like right. if you're learning a language, you don't stay, you don't just continue to do the drills that you did right, right. at the beginning. So I think this is something where Quantified Self and kind of the wearables industry to some extent have gone in separate directions because the wearables industry, of course, it wants and needs people to just do the same thing again and again and just you know, upgrade and kind of continue to be monitored, you know, by, by the devices they're making. Mm -hmm. But, and, and this idea that people use them for a while and then leave them in a drawer. That's a a big problem. If that you're dependent on monthly subscriptions for a device, but from our perspective, it's not such a big problem. Like if you learn something and then you move on to something else, that actually is how we use a lot of tools, right? Like, um, so so that was a big discovery for us, I think. And, and even today, I continue to encounter people who think that the magic lies in just getting a bunch of monitoring onto your body mm-hmm. and then sending it out to the cloud and having an AI kind of look mm-hmm. at it and then kind of send you messages back to tell you about yourself. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that's something that will happen, but right <laughs> now there's a totally other thing happening, <laughs> which is that we're using it ourselves to kind of answer our own questions you know, right. and, and it, it's just a very fascinating process. Right,
0: right. So that's fabulous. So, Gary, what's the second um, cool tool?
1: The, what I want to show now is a tool that I just started to use and I'm absolutely fascinated by. I've been following this person for a long time. The person who made the tool, his name is Marco Altini. And I just ran my first half marathon. I celebrated my 60th birthday with a half marathon. And so I'm doing fitness training in a way that I've never done before. And maybe I'll celebrate my 61st with a full marathon if I can get there. And Marco makes a tool called HRV for training. And HRV stands for heart rate variability. And it's been known since the, at least 1980s that you can use heart rate to predict your training response and your vulnerability to injury. So um, that's what I'm experimenting with right now. What's the variability part? So your heart rate is expressed in beats per minute. So that's your pulse. But it varies. And it speeds up when you inhale and it slows down when you exhale. And heart rate variability Having kind of a nice, smooth um, rise and fall in your heart rate uh, associated with your breath is a sign of being uh, in good shape. Mm. And if you're not in good shape, what's the, what's the, curve well, what right? happens is under stress, your body tends to even out the heart rate.
0: Oh, it does not have the variability.
1: Exactly. Because like, let's imagine you're running away from a lion or something like that, you know, you want to have that heart rate just, you know, very, you know, regular and kind of hitting, um, you know, like the drum to drive you as far and as fast as possible, you know, as you exit the scene, Mm -hmm. right. But um, when you're relaxed, you, um, that heart rate rises and falls. The science is really interesting, because actually, there's like a whole Really important connection between your heart the nerves that control your heart and the um and your brain basically mm-hmm. so um your 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 um, nervous system if if you didn't have inhibition of your heart rate, if you just take the heart out of the body or heart cells, it beats really fast mm-hmm. so actually you have circuits in your nervous system that slow your heart. And the kind of functioning of that slowing, that inhibition, mm-hmm. is related to kind of your, um, your um, kind of, it's even hard to put the right word on it because it's but your overall kind of well being,
0: mm-hmm. your health, your health. So um, okay, so 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 this is a device, I mean, that measures your not just your heartbeat, because they I mean your fitbit will. An advanced Fitbit will do that, right? It can take your pulse. But this is measuring something else. This is measuring. Yeah, so
1: this is where it becomes really interesting and why I'm fascinated by it. Measuring heart rate or pulse is, that's where we started, Kevin, you know, 14 years ago, right? Like, um, so measuring heart rate variability is much more challenging because it's a more sensitive measure and you know, you really are looking at every single beat. So if you make a mistake in there, right, you're gonna mess up the whole equation. So many of the most advanced wearables have tried to give really good HRV measurement and they're getting there. So the Apple watch measure is getting there and they function well or poorly under different circumstances, right? Like how much you're moving and, you know, whether, you know, your watch is correctly fitted. <laughs> There's lots of things that create noise. Marco though has been focused on something different, not on refining the technical capacity. Meaning the use sensors. The device. Not on refining the sensors, but on really understanding the context of measurement. Like mm. when do you measure? How do you measure? And then what does that measurement mean? Mm. Because he's a, uh, uh, you know, um, performance fitness coach and has been for many, many years. And so his tool allows you to measure your heart rate variability just using the camera on your iPhone. Oh, so wow. So I've now got my finger over the, um, over the flashlight. And if I can, I'll just show you. Wow. That it's taking now. I'm standing up and causing a lot of stress on this device, so it it thinks that I'm my heart rate is beating very fast, but that's really just noise. Normally, you do it sitting down, and that's part of the um, magic here. Uh So I'm going to um, I'm going to measure it out of sight where I can set my finger down on the table, really um, calmly. This isn't this isn't
0: iPhone or a phone app. It's an iPhone app. It's, there's an it's Android just version. Both the here. light and the camera in your phone. And um, it's mostly for, not while you're actually doing exercise, because that'd be hard to do,
1: but it's like at your in your rest state. Exactly. And so Marco has a beautiful guide to heart rate variability that he's published, which explains, and he has really excellent data showing this method in comparison with much more sophisticated, technically sophisticated methods of getting heart rate variability and showing that you can get the signal that you need for your training by controlling the measurement context. So you do it the same time every day, you do it Mm. for just 60 seconds, you do it sitting in the same way every time and you get a really good measurement that you can then use to guide your training. And of course at my age and for athletes who aim at, you know, extreme performance, which I never did, but even at a younger age, um, what you're concerned about in training is injury. Like once you get to the point where you're enjoying your training, you're just, you don't want to be thrown off by an injury. So HRV is one of the things that allows you to kind of test your recovery Mm, so that you don't get injured. And this is being used extensively in professional sports. It's, you know, every single training room is doing measurements like this. But it's become now something that, you know, you just can do with your phone. I also really appreciate the learning process. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it takes some thinking to use this measurement. But the thinking is really interesting thinking, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the thinking that kind of puts you more in touch with mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. own body and, and your own mind.
0: Well, that's fabulous. Well, and, and again, what's the name of the app? It's called HRV
1: number four Uh training.
0: HRV HRV for training. training. Okay.
1: Yeah. I'll send you a link. Of course, you can put it in the show. notes. Do you have any idea how much it costs? Yes, I did buy it. So I've forgotten now, but I think I spent something like $10 for it. Okay. All right. So if you think about it, like I used to have a polar strap and, you know, I used to have another app that tried where I tried to kind of, anyway, it's yeah, it's a pretty extreme advance. And, You know, I'll tell you a funny story that um, one of my colleagues, Thomas Christensen, told me the other day because we were talking about how that the capacity to do really good observations changed science so much in the 16th century, right? Like they were all about like microscopes and telescopes and and he was telling me that the great Danish, you know, astronomer Tycho Brahe had a distributed sensor network that consisted of multiple assistants in different rooms, looking out windows. And then he was yelling the times so that they could kind of count down and make the observations at exactly the same time. Wow. And I'm like, you know what? That was very advanced for that moment. Like recognizing that, like, um, if you can kind of get your method of observation right, You can make a gigantic leap in what you can know about. So no Tycho Brahe, no Kepler, you know, no Kepler, no Newton, you know. So so I think that even like somebody like Marco Altini, it seems pretty geeky, like, okay, how do you get heart rate variability with an iPhone Mm -hmm. camera? He's in that tradition. He's in that scientific tradition and we're going to learn a lot.
0: That's fabulous. Thank you. So Gary, what's your third um, tool?
1: Okay. So, you know, this could be taken as um, a bit promotional, but I just say that like, this is not something that we make any money on. It's just something that we do to um, support the community, but it was a big discovery for us. And that is that one of the the missing ingredient for learning about your own data is not um, only what tool you use to make the observation, but it's where, you can get the support and the help and find the colleagues in a sense that you need to do the learning that you wanna do. And so I wanted to show the Quantified Self Forum. It's a free forum. Kevin, as somebody who's done a lot of online gardening, you know that like maintaining a social space for super high quality questions and answers is a triumph. So I'm very proud of this. And this is our community forum. It's at forumquantifiedself.com. And as you can see, people are asking pretty hard questions here. Like, oh, I exported my data from, from two different times from Apple and I got two different results. Why Why did that happen? Or how can I track my body temperature more accurately? Or, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get a dashboard of all my data together. Um, and, you know, it's my job basically to um moderate and if you have a question about self tracking that we didn't answer today in this really short conversation this is the place to get it answered
0: wow that's a you should get a you should be a, a national treasure badge for moderating <laughs> this kind of a conference because my experience is that the quality of the conversation is directly proportional to the quality of the moderation it's just, there's just no there's no exceptions really
1: thank you well you know i go back a long way not quite as far as you in this particular you know domain of expertise no. but i do go back pretty far and i have to say i enjoy it a lot i mean even like there is i do vaporize a lot of spam but it's like a little video game you know so when i clear it all out and it's all just high quality signal i kind of it's a very easy win for me. Like I feel very happy.
0: Yeah. Well, that's really great. So we'll point to um, people with the uh, show notes, but it's, it's at the quantified forum at the quantified self.
1: Yeah. Forum.quantifiedself.com. <laughs> and, and it's, it's um, I keep doing it because the quality of the people who respond there uh-huh. and the knowledge that they have, I just think it's remarkable and inspiring.
0: Right, right. Right, I like to, um, Have you talked about your newest project in the few minutes we have remaining?
1: Okay, sure. Um, So we just came out with a book. And I say we because although I wrote the book, you know, in terms of putting the text onto the page, it expresses the ideas of a core group of quantified self experts. Um, So I have uh, five co-authors. And it's called Personal Science, Learning to Observe. Personal
0: or personalized? Personal Personal. science.
1: Personal science. you have a cover
0: too. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, I have just a, we have so far published it on LeanPub. We've done a kind of community pre-publication. You know, we'll get a normal publication sometime when we're ready. Um, but um, LeanPub is a wonderful web service for authors where they can pre-release their drafts. To the community on a pay-as-you-wish basis,
0: and is this is this like an ebook, or is this like a? So
1: this is an ebook. It has a PDF. It uh, you know, uh, Leanpub makes it available in all the different ebook formats. Kindle. Um, Yes. Okay. Yep, you can get it in all the ebook formats, and also if you buy it on Leanpub, then you get access to the final version when it's ready, and you can give some feedback. I'd say we're about eighty percent done. Okay. And. What has happened with this book, what we've done with this book is, as you know, the quantified self knowledge sharing method was really to have meetings. And we had meetings all over the world. I mean, there were over 100 cities in 30 countries that had quantified self meetings in them and then conferences every year. But the pandemic really put an end to that.
0: I would say you've had thousands of meetups at this point, right? Yeah, I mean,
1: worldwide. there's re- they're really uncountable, but, you know, we did try to count them at one point. And, um, you know, I think there there's probably over a thousand individual separate events of some kind or another, okay. you know. Um, but they range from like five people around a table at a university to 2,000 people, you know, in the San Francisco waterfront, you know. So right. it was a very freewheeling free for all. Right. You know? And that's been 15 years the first one was in two thousand and eight, so um, you, you and I did our first blog post in two thousand and seven. The first right. meeting was in two
0: thousand and eight right and so, so so almost fifteen years yeah. right so so like so the question would be, what have you learned in fifteen years and this is Correct. sort of
1: an answer. This is the first answer this is really an attempt in to put into a readable, really direct way every key piece of wisdom that we've learned about self-tracking. And some of it is really counterintuitive. And it's meant to support people who are really at that stage of their journey where they want to begin. It's not trying to convince anybody, like you should try right. this or, you know, why don't you think about observing? It's, it's if you are at that point where you wanna make your own observations to answer your own questions, sure. how can you do it? What would be an example of a counterintuitive um, lesson Well, one of the most important lessons is it's not about the technology. Sure. It's about how you refine the question you're going to ask Mm -hmm. and how you represent that question in a a way that allows you to track something. So what is the phenomenon? What is the thing that you want to keep track of that could shed some light on the question you have? Mm -hmm. Now, you might start out by saying, okay, I have headaches. I'm going to just track and rate my headaches but we've learned a lot about that like for instance we've learned that that's probably too hard because you want to have your data last you want to have tracking data that lasts you for months at least because you want to see the rise and fall mm-hmm. every day you're going to say every time you have a headache how bad is this headache we know already that those projects have been tried hundreds and hundreds of times and mostly they fail there because are other because why do they fail they fail because there's a little bit of friction in doing that Is my headache a three or a four? Do I have a pencil with me? Can I pull my phone out of my pocket right now at this moment? Mm -hmm. It's just a little friction. You can get over that friction once. You can get over it five times. Mm. But you can't get over it 500 times Mm -hmm. and get the data that you want. And it fails like some people, it fails like after a day. Some people, it fails after a week. (laughs) But for the most part, and some people are very special and have that like intense mentality where they're they're not going to let it fail right um they're going to stop dinner and like pull out their phone and say okay everybody i've got a i got a bit of a headache now (laughs) but there are other ways to do it which will be just as good and that's kind of what we describe in the book is how to how to get make your questions truly answerable so that you don't run into a roadblock and you don't have to take two years to learn how to do this Um, Mm -hmm. but you can start with the knowledge that people have already Gathered over the last. 50 years.
0: I look forward to that. That sounds fantastic. Just what it's needed, um, because I'm often asked that question, and I don't yep. have really haven't had a good
1: answer about how do I start. What what should I look out for? What should I not do? What should I track? Right. What tools should I buy? We start from the beginning, and we tell you how right. do you pose the question, and how do you right. choose what to track, and then what tool is best. And so that.
0: Um, edition of your book is now available now it's not the final one but people can get it and even participate in so to speak in the completion of it
1: absolutely yes and, and we're really sensitive at this stage to the feedback that we get so if you have an interest this is really this edition is for people who think that they have an interest in this topic right, right and right. you know if you have an interest in making your own knowledge with your own data read this draft and you know, if you have something to say, we'll listen.
0: And in addition to that, there's the forum.
1: And the forum is, the forum is the place for the stuff that isn't in the book, right? Like in the book, right. we're not going to tell you, why did this export from <laughs> Apple health fail? Right. <laughs> but people need to know that. Right. But that's, that's for the forum. And, right, right, and if right. you're really in there in the weeds, okay. the forum is for you. Well, this has been perfect,
0: Gary. Thank you so much. It's been we've long overdue for catch up. Um, I think you're doing fabulous work there at the quantified self. Um, and I think the two things, particularly this book is exactly what's needed right now. So I'm so delighted you're working on it.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Thanks so much for doing this and for everything that you kind of have done over the years to make this, uh, from a, from a, a a glimmer of an idea to an actually thriving community.
0: Right. It was really great. So thanks for the cool tool suggestions. And we'll see you all next week. We're glad that you enjoyed this issue of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Just want to remind you that we have some other coolish material on our YouTube channel here. Please subscribe, comment, like. In addition, um, this Cool Tools Show and Tell is also available in an Audible podcast form. You can s- subscribe to it wherever you subscribe to other podcasts. If you just wanted to listen. And if you're listening, know that there is a visual version of this on our YouTube channel where we're actually showing the tools and um, there's a little bit more of a visual component there. In addition, the same folks that put us, uh, the Cool Tools website out, we also put out a free newsletter every week. It's very, very short. It's one page or less. We recommend six very brief items Um, that are very succinct, easy to read. You can deal with it in a couple minutes. And every week we bring to you the six cool things that we have uncovered and want to share. And it's called Recommendo with one M, recommendo.com. You'll be able to find it there. It's free. Join 50,000 plus other subscribers every Sunday morning. You'll get it in your email box. And it's actually one of the most popular things that we produce but we do produce other newsletters as well. One of them is called What's in Your Bag. We have one that goes out to um, tools and tips for your workshop. So you can get those at our website um, and they're also free. And finally, um, I wanna mention the fact that um, we do have a Patreon and um, this uh, podcast and this vidcast are supported by Patreon supporters. The minimum is a dollar a month And for that, you get um, an email to ask us anything. We'll respond and um, answer your question if we're able to. There are other higher levels. You can all see those at our Patreon page. And all those links are below right here. So thank you again for being a fan and um, we'll keep producing stuff if you enjoy it. Thanks. We wanna thank this week's patrons who include Bruce Allen Horn. Wayne Willis, Riga, Roland Wilkerson, Patrick Weir, Nate McCoy, David Pell, Randall Bundy, Stephen Kasapi, and Phil King. Thank you all. We appreciate your support.